from Rixie. This is Frameform. Greetings, everyone. It's another Wednesday, and welcome back to Frameform. Today, we have a very anticipated show that actually you guys voted for. We posted it on social media and asked you what you wanted to hear on our next Location Scout episode. And we had the choices between water and desert. And today we are talking about water locations. So that's exciting. (laughs) And the cool thing is that when we decided, okay, we're going to talk about water locations based on the vote, there were all these sub-genres and, you know, channels and creeks and rivers, things branching off of the main topic of water. So today we've curated three different kind of water environments, but by picking these three, we've actually left out so many, and it was really hard to kind of slash those options out of the conversation today. But that's not to say that we won't visit them later in another water episode. We, you know, we looked at not only different locations with water, but also we were looking at different states of water. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like our icy locations included in the water category, like if maybe if you're filming near a geyser, would that count too? (laughs) Water on Stage was another. We love the documentary Rare Birds, directed by T.M. Reeves, or just known as Reeves because he's cool like that, Um, featuring Alexander Ekman and the Norwegian National Ballet. You know, that's a really cool documentary looking at the practical side of using water in a live performance. But we're really looking at films that I think take us to a place really are great examples of how you can make a great dance film or screen dance in water. And it's not that we don't see a lot of films in water. It's just we decided these three are uniquely awesome. And we want to shout out specific things that we like about them and why we think that we've seen them all over the festival circuit and social media and have been so popular with such a range of audiences. Yeah, before we jump in, I do want to break the ice of what we're watching these days. You know, a little icebreaker. Breaking the ice into water. Yeah, let's let it flow. Um, (laughs) Well, I just want to share something, maybe the opposite of water, but I watched Dune recently. (laughs) The 1984 uh, David Lynch version of Dune, because here in 2021, I will say we the new feature of Dune is coming out in October. So, have you two seen Lynch's version of Dune? I've seen parts of it. Um, it's not a 15-hour movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've only seen parts of it. And, I mean, uh, when I was in college and getting into Lynch, I was specifically told to avoid Dune. But I really? think that people are now, re- like, people have reappraised it and kind of looked at it in terms of, I mean, an ad- you know, an adaptation of a book that kind of exists, like, tangential to the other David Lynch features. And I think, I think I, I definitely need to watch it. And I certainly want to watch it before the uh, Timothy Chalamet bit yeah. comes out. 
Well, and I haven't read the book, so I know that I'm, I'm not like in the world. I'm not all part of the fandom and like caught up. There's just so many different sci-fi rabbit holes you can go through. I know that this has like a cult following. Mm-hmm. I just see it like that film is like camp and it is it is very campy I love that's like that's what I love about it I I do enjoy like campy stuff and just being able to laugh at the absurdity and marvel at like the production choices and everything so I find it enjoyable but I'm not someone who's like into Dune quote unquote yeah, I feel that this movie was more just of a production budget problem more than I think there was elements there that Lynch hit the nail on the head for because of just his background in that style of work. But, you know, I, I was surprised that this was a movie that was produced after Star Wars. And all I could think about is just how if this film was actually directed by George Lucas or just even just by the Lucas production, how different it would be because they did a lot with just, you know, the costumes and maybe the interior sets, but outside where you're supposed to feel, you know, in this other location that you feel in the star Wars movies, you you don't feel it at all. You're just, in (laughs) another set you know it would also be really amazing if um jim henson directed (gasps) yes that would be interesting and even if they even if they did it as like no live actors they did it entirely as puppets Puppets. i know that that is extremely expensive but like wouldn't that be like a great version of it i think but (laughs) <laughs> that makes so much sense. I mean, just that having it be sense. along the lines of like a labyrinth or, or like a treasure island, like that makes so Dark much Crystal. sense. Dark Crystal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or you could have Terry Gilliam direct it and have it be like a time bandit sort of thing. Yeah. But then who knows if he could finish it because, you know. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> took yeah. a very long time. Or did he actually finish He'll just Amanda. need to call his time bandit friends and, you know, hop back and forth to get it done. But yeah, I think the was the film we were referring to, was that The Man Who Killed Don Quixote? Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, it, it was finished and um, eventually, like, with Adam Driver in the lead role. You know, I should sit down and watch that next as my, you know, I guess we could say tripping through time with (laughs) very strange movies and attempts uh, due to projection and what people do with them. So, but moving forward, why don't we jump right in from the desert into the bowl of water that is next to me. Just kidding. It's a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're looking at water as a symbol in general, whether it's books, movies, poetry, you name it. We're familiar with it every day and all of that. What are some things that come to the mind when you see when you see water, when you feel water, when you hear water in any kind of literature or media out there? Well, it's definitely symbolic for communication or change or, you know, a fluidity, a passage or a flow of something. It's also very ambient, and I love that you said, 
you know, hear and see. There was something else that you mentioned. Feel. Feel, right? So, like, water in film is something that's very visually beautiful and creates all these illusions and reflects light wonderfully, but it's also something that puts us in a place. And especially when elements like sound are brought in, it can really transport us somewhere. And I think that all the films today really do that well. When I think of water, like I think of it in terms of, well, in some ways, both water as a life-giving force, but also as water, almost water as a source of danger as well. Many listeners know that I live in California and uh, we have had several years of droughts over the last few years. So um, I think the last time we had rain was about two months ago. We're probably not going to get it until November. So there's sort of this idea of like this lack or this scarcity of water and how the the preciousness of it and the Elton's just thinking of like the first, you know, the first rain after a long summer is usually like, that's that's usually like my Christmas. That's usually the best day of the year when things start to to pop up. But it also does represent a source of danger. And again, just thinking as beautiful as the natural waters are, they're also, they're also things you can't really mess with. Like it's fun going to the ocean, but there are always stories about these rip currents that, you know, bring people under and just how water can really embody lots of different, lots of different forms and lots of different forces. It can be very peaceful and very tranquil, but it can also be violent really and it can also have these excessive yeah exactly exactly I love that you highlighted that because the amazing thing about water is it can range from like ice to vapor you know it does it's so fluid that it can change form like that and it does have that amazing integration with our own life like humans are what percentage? Like 90% water? I'm not up on my information. Yeah, something like that. Like something crazy. Okay, sorry. Don't come for me if it's wrong. But humans are like mostly water and the earth is mostly water. So it is this thing, this fascination that we have in this requirement, but also this thing that can kill us, which is really crazy. And I love that you, you know, spoke to the the weather and the fact that it's part of our daily life as well, because a fellow West Coaster here, but a bit to the north, we we have like seasonal affective disorder and like constant cloudy weather and and rain all year you know and just to the south of us is the evergreen state right so it's interesting how your relationship with water and sometimes being on the coast or being on the lake or on the beach like on the river your relationship to water in your daily life really does shape how you sort of feel about it. And if it is this chaotic or this peaceful force, I think our first film today is one of my favorite examples of a film that shows water as a peaceful and almost like a spiritual experience and, you know, evokes this imagery of baptism and I just love it so much. So let's maybe dive in to that one. Looking at Cygnus, a film by Kara Hagen and Robert Ulan, this film, I would say, is a meditative experience on screen. As I introduced our topic for today, feeling, seeing, and hearing is definitely the sensory of everything that happens in this film. It starts off as 
just the body of water. Actually, if I would say it starts off with just the sound of yes. the environment. Mm-hmm. And maybe around, I think around dusk, it, it takes place where it's very calm and all you can hear are the bugs around that surround the body of water and you're just floating along with what you're basically sitting in throughout the picture, which I think is a great way to feel in totally encapsulated in the environment as a whole. You're never outside of the water except for maybe one part, but water in this instant is definitely a positive force shown through the body. I think a couple things that this film specifically does that allows us to be immersed in that way is the camera level and the camera angles paired with how Kara, the dancer, director, choreographer, shout out Kara Hagen, how she is immersed in the water, but feel like she looks very comfortable. There's no sense of like this dancer is uncomfortable or they're not, they're, they're next to water, but they're not in it. And the interaction, you know, is just such a great integration with the environment, which we've discussed many times and we will de- tirelessly repeat, you know, a strong screen dance or dance film has to be site specific, has to be specifically for the camera and has to keep in mind that relationship and the way that it's going to convey in editing as well. Just that interaction with the environment really is a huge part of that screen choreography too. And you see the ripples of the water are very much a part of the movement of what's in the frame. And there's such a great range of seeing how micro movements can really affect the affect the equilibrium and how huge, almost very, I mean, I wouldn't even call them violent, but big, big energetic movements can really affect that as well. And really, Jen, as you mentioned, like the camera angles and also the the shot types that we see as well. Like we really do see this, the close-ups of the body interacting with that water as well as the extreme wides where we see the ripple effects of that movement as well. Also speaking about the camera angle, I have to say, Because we are at height level with her and this kind of equal, you know, equal space around her. So it's not, she's not, we're not just focusing on her. There's this equal, I keep saying equal. There is a balance between her and the environment. And because we are almost at that eye level of the horizon of the water, it almost gives this effect that we're in another location in general. We're not in water. We're almost in this limbo space that we don't even know how to describe what the location is because it's very rare that we see the trees. I mean, we see them in the background, but all you can really see is the reflection of the sky against the surface, which I think is also what transports the viewer where she is, you know, because it's not, it's not just water. It's like her, I always say this, it's her brain. It's her, it's her meditative mind of what she's experiencing. I think often we're almost pulled farther back. Like we're on the shore and the water is the chaos or the depths. But in this case, because she's so far out in the water and because it is beautifully composed, we almost have, it's like the water and the horizon. 
And because of the way it's framed where we see her torso moving and I do think like these almost bird-like movements, like it's very yes. um, beautiful and symmetrical and structured, but also quite soft and and I think quite feminine and fluid. You know, you have this imagery of the sky and it really does, I think you nailed it right there when you said like it is like this liminal space or this limbo Absolutely. And just the role that light plays into this and the light in the water plays just that natural light really creating this beautiful, this beautiful painting on the water. And even moments when you can see the water reflected onto Kara's body, like there's a really like there's such a simplicity to the film, but it's just it really does draw you right in. As well as, you know, shout out to Michael Wall. The music is perfect. The, I think the sound score is very, very strong here. Yeah. It reminds me of Philip Glass for sure. It's definitely like that vibe, just that that beautiful ethereal piano music, but combined with, as you mentioned, like the water and the sounds of the environment, because that is what really puts you there. And I think that you, the fact you hear it before you see it was also a smart choice. Continuum is something I think about when I see this, because as we said, limbo and just ripples that you're repeating itself. And the music itself is also repeating like Philip Glass, which made me think of like a waterfall or just like a faucet running. It's just continuous. And those droplets in the keys of the piano, you know, you think of that, how water separates, but yet flows through. It, it, it definitely I love that. forms a symbiotic relationship throughout everything here. I also just want to shout out the technical components of the film because this is such a meditative picture. But anyone who's ever had to put a camera or bring a camera out to water knows <laughs> that is super stressful. And there is um, a huge price to pay if you drop that thing in the water. (laughs) So I think the camera work is, I mean, it's very responsive to the dancer and it's also very, very, very hyper controlled. So, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of skill to do that. So just wanted to shout that out too. And it is really important when you are dealing with those risk factors and the realities of shooting on location like that. And with something that could damage the equipment that you have that mastery that you feel like, okay, I can still dance here. I can still make something amazing. And I think that all the films we chose today are examples of confident, creative, at least they come across this way, really confident, creative, and strong production choices. Well, speaking about confidence in the environment, both in front and behind the camera, uh, I think it's nice to transition into Walochens, which is a classic uh, Katrina McPherson and Simon Files collaboration. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've talked about any of their films on the show prior to this. We have not. Somehow we have, we not. have this not. This would be their first. And it's about time. It is about time. So first of all, again, we want to sh- you know, just shout out our appreciation for the late, great Simon Files, who really pushed editing in screen dance forward in such an incredible way. But essentially the way that their collaboration, their artistic collaboration worked was Katrina was usually the one behind the camera. 
And she usually works with improvisation of the dancer and comes up with these uh, scores related to the dancing body and the camera. And oftentimes, like, they'll get, like, 12 hours of footage. And then um, usually Simon's the one in the editing suite editing that into a choreography. So really, they have the chance to get to know the dancer and get to know the dancer in location. Now, some funny thing about this story of Wallochens is that Katrina apparently had a very limited time to work with Mark Brew here. She literally met Mark on the day, started filming with him, and you know, use that footage to to create the film. Well, you have two brilliant people working together, so I feel like they're already set up for success, even though I understand that can be stressful yeah. to be out of your regular process. But something that really is a hallmark of the Files McPherson collaboration is the use of the Scottish Highlands location. And in this case, we have the the body of water, Wallochens, in the uh, Cairngorms National Park, which, oh my gosh, Scotland is is its own. If you go just anywhere north of Glasgow, Edinburgh, it's just like you're stepping into, um, it's, you're like you're stepping into a fairy tale, very much so, very much so. And this film features uh, Mark Brew, who is the current artistic director of Access Dance Company, which is a um, physically integrated company. So features dancers of many different movement backgrounds and some dancers use assistant devices like wheelchairs or, or crutches. Mark himself uses a wheelchair. The thing that draws me to this film is just the sensitivity with which the body and the water are being treated. So like that we see the parts of the body that are fully controlled, like the upper body and the torso, which is incredibly expressive. And then the parts of the body that have to be moved and the parts of the body that really have to be have to be guided into the water. And there really is an interesting quality to the the way that those different parts of the body interact with that water. For this film, it's this relationship between our subject and nature here. I felt as we looked at sickness and we were saying something about how Kara in this instance is maybe considered a bird. They're doing bird-like things, movement. And here I looked at Mark as a tree, I don't know why I thought about the tree, but, you know, he starts on the ground. He's using his arms a lot. And to me, I kind of looked at him on water because whenever we see him against water, it's usually through the reflection upside down, which to me, it was almost like in this case, his arms are the roots that are growing throughout you know, planning himself around. And even though he's guiding his feet from time to time, when he when we introduce the wheelchair into the scenario, because there's times that you see his device on screen, but you don't really notice it. You know, you just it's kind of it blends in, but when you when he moves up to his chair, to me it almost is like a growth. You know, because he's moving up higher and like trees growing over time and relationship to water, you know, those come in hand in hand. I don't know if you guys saw that 
in a way of him as a character because when we're looking at these two locations together it's like we're they're not just humans in their environment they're literally becoming something that is you know maybe a tree or a bird a creature a fish you know something that goes towards water or breathes and needs water in order to live yeah, with films of this caliber, the water's never just there. It's it's not just, oh, my friend and I turned on our smartphone and took a video dancing on like a dock and the water was just a backdrop. When we're dealing with a dance film or a screen dance that's like a capital D or capital S in those categories, we're dealing with water as a symbol, water to serve some sort of message or purpose. And I think the interesting thing about this conversation is you know, when we started, we were saying like all these subcategories of water and like, you know, are we at a lake? Are we at a river? Are we in a pool? Are we, is it ice? But now we're dealing with within this environment, how is the water still fluid in form? How is it still changing? How are the ripples? Okay. Ripples is, is a symbol. Okay. How is it flowing? You know, it's, it's amazing the depth to which we can look at the layers here of the of the symbolism of the water and the function that it has also when it comes to how visually we can use it and what i like about this film is it kind of disorients you a little bit you can tell that it's taking some creative risks and i think that that sets it apart as well because it's not just capturing water as it is it's adding to the illusion it also just raised a lot of questions as far as humans in natural environments as well. And just thinking of the contrast between the water that we see here versus the water that we see in Cygnus, where we, I mean, we get, in Cygnus, we get some indication that this is sort of like a swimming area that, you know, people do go into this water. But here, it looks like it's very much like a natural preserve. So, even like when we see those extreme close-ups of the hand going into the water, like there is a sense of disturbance, like the sense of almost like some someone invading that space or like, and really the care someone has as far as, you know, going into what is, you know, what is an environment and what is a home for lots of different organisms and the care that they take as far as like, what are, what are you taking? What are you leaving? Like, how are, how are you interacting in that in that regard as far as like a way of enjoying yet preserving the environment. Yeah, I think these two films definitely, I mean, water is a prop, water is a backdrop, water is a symbol, but yeah, it's still celebrating what we are given to us, to this world that we live in and how we can live in this symbiosis with each other without disturbing it exactly what you said there Claire how do we take how do we leave it how do we respect it and an interesting thing is movies become part of how we understand the world how we compare things like I grew up in Canada but a lot of the media I consumed was American media so I had a very specific idea of what high school should be Based, not based on reality, not based on my parents' experience, not based on people around me, but 
based on the media that I was watching. And, you know, it's that sounds overly simplified, but it's true. And it, it's just a human condition. And we've always looked to movies for this weird combination of like our dreams and also just what is real. And I think that a, a good example of where movies can elevate our life experience is how movies can romanticize rain. And (laughs) I love how our third (laughs) film here is a great example of, it it is nothing like singing in the rain, but it it is, serves the function of making rain seem attractive and glamorous and amazing. Like, like a storm you would like to be caught up in. So I am (laughs) of course, speaking of the Russian dance film, The Stop, directed by Lujmila and directed and choreographed by Lujmila Komrakova. She is, I, I think, a, an auteur for sure, mm-hmm. because her dance films always feature um, different styles of ballroom dance in these different settings with very clear characters. And I, I would say a touch of camp, you know, and great production value and style. And this film is like this almost like a soap opera scene playing out and this this dance in the water and in the rain with this whole great narrative added to it as well, which I think also elevates this film and is probably part of why it was extremely popular in the festival circuit. And I know at my festivals was always in every screening that this film was included, <laughs> this was voted the audience favorite. <laughs> I remember the audience reactions they loved Including it. myself when watching that film. I remember just everyone kind of gasping. Yeah. And like at the big screen too. And the great thing is like they go on an emotional journey. There's parts where they're like, oh, and then they laugh at the end or, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. there's, there's, it felt so good as a curator to be like, okay, that's why we're in a theater. We can yes. laugh together. We can, mm-hmm. we can cry together. We can gasp together. We can look at this beautiful, like romantic shot of a rendezvous tracing a circle, like in the rain and like, the close up <laughs> of the foot, the bare feet, you know, screw these heels. It's so good. And, and I just think this film is, is, is like such a mood. Yes, I, I got to say, I'm glad they had all that water because this is such a soapy film here. Uh, just... <laughs> soapy. Again, I we said prior to our conversation today, um, Ludmila Komrakova makes dance film a better place. I so enjoy her films. They are incredibly camp, incredibly over the top. And as far as the role water plays, it matches that mood just every step of the way. Like the torrential downpour that we see throughout the entire film is like, is is there really that much water in the world to, to, to dump on these people and really amplifies the, amplifies the emotion and amplifies the, the effect of, of the movement as well. Like the, the spray that we get from the, from the dancers' bodies too. I feel like this film when I remember seeing it entire entirely. So I, I went through an emotional, you know, journey watching it because you see like there's high production lighting and rain. And in this case, we're romanticizing the duet that's dancing in the rain. And then we have, you know, a, this side character, 
an older man. And yet we're casting the rain kind of in this mysterious eeriness. So you have opposite sides of the spectrum of what water is doing here, which, as we said in the beginning, you know, you either have water as a positive force, you know, cleansing and bringing hope. And then you also have the excessiveness of water, which is causing destructive harm. Mm -hmm. If I had to like describe the genre category for this film, I would call it a camp noir because it like has those elements we were talking about where like it's, it's soapy, it's dramatic. The aesthetic is very, it almost is like if a romance novel happened as a dance film or something, it just has that vibe. But because of the, like the canted angle with the stop and like this kind of seedy meeting place and like the fur hanging out of the car seat and like the gun, it feels kind of like a comic book, like noir at the same time. And rain is such a quintessential part of that, that I think this film would, this film would not be the same without the rain. Right. Right. The yeah, the rain really helps create that mood and really and also the lighting again with the rain. Yes. I mean, you know, happy happy pride everyone and just wanted to um <laughs> it's it's I don't I doubt this was intended, but that is like a perfect example of bisexual lighting. It's um again, like it's <laughs> but it's by lighting. Yeah, it's by lighting there. Um <laughs> But the lighting is incredibly over the top. Like, would you believe, like, street lamps in Moscow or, like, Yekaterinburg or something like that would have that, um, would have that colorful resonance? Probably not. And also, again, I just have to think to the filming of this, where, you know, Cygnus may have been a nervous moment for the camera person. I would have been terrified to be on that set in the stop. I mean, can you imagine, like, all those wires, all that water? Oh, my goodness. Like, I mean, everyone's probably wearing, like, you know, non non-conductive, like, rubber suits just to, you know, just to make this thing. Well, I think that's something that's important to, to point out, too, though, is because people that don't work in the industry and, and have never been involved in production or even that have been but not this specific kind of production, there's that suspension of disbelief, and they're not necessarily thinking – you know, in a way, sometimes I wish that I didn't know what I know because so I could actually enjoy watching things sometimes instead of being like, how did they make this? Oh, they did this. Or I noticed that continuity error, right? Yeah. So in this case, you know, we are watching the film sometimes thinking, okay, how did they produce this? And how's the lights like this way? And as you said, how do we not get electrocuted here? And I think this film because of the narrative, because of the the color palette, it really does, and the, and the acting and the concept, it really does pull it into this like story fantasy space. And all the films today do that in their own way. But I think this film really pushes a literal narrative or a, a, a story that a popular audience that's not watching dance film might cling on to a bit easier. Whereas the other two... I think are more artistic and behold the human form in, in contact with nature and its beauty and, you know, how that interacts with machines and our ability to, to capture and edit these things. Yeah. I mean, I think this film in general is, as I said earlier, I felt like we were looking at nature with 
and nature with humans being, you know, them becoming something in nature where we're in a city location. So it's humans being humans, Mm -hmm. you know, the rain here is just, we're living and experiencing and everyone has lived and experienced something in the rain. I will say that, um, these are three fantastic examples of dance films created in environments with water. You know, dance films created with or by or in water are not rare. And oftentimes we see very similar tropes in submissions. So if you're creating near a body of water or you're creating in water, you really want to keep a few things in mind. For, for example... There are plenty of films made with dancers underwater. And we see plenty of films with like those billowing dresses in like this suspended space. Now, we're not saying you shouldn't make one, but there are plenty of films out there. And just throwing a dancer underwater and filming them does not a dance film make. I feel like we could almost, we could be specific when it comes to water and dance films. But at the end of the day, a lot of these do's and don'ts and general guidance rules kind of apply across the board, you know, when it comes to don't be too indulgent with the runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't don't use comic sans or, or papyrus for your title font. <laughs> you know, like just these basic things, you know, hide that Lululemon logo. But specifically with water, I think one of my golden rules for anybody making anything is just do your research and just watch, watch how it's already been done. Go on YouTube, do a search filming underwater with this camera. Like never before has this much information been so readily available and with such a low entry cost, even if you don't have a computer and you're making dance films. By the time you have access to equipment, you can go to the library, you can search it up, borrow a friend's phone. Like information is out there to make to build on what people have already done and make things even better going forward. Well, after this uh sweaty, rainy, just full of water after I drank it all of my water next to me. It's been a very wonderful episode. Next week, we're featuring an episode called Outside Eye, which is conversations with non-dance filmmakers. So check that out and we'll see you next week. Just keep swimming. We have a listener submitted announcement this week. Film Fest by Rogue Dancer is an online film festival that offers a monthly curated screening exclusively for dance films. Rogue Dancer is committed to serving the global dance community with their creative and themed programs. Submit to their Film Freeway page at the link in the show notes and follow on social at Rogue Dancer Journal and at Dancer Rogue. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's Frameform P-O-D. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review and rate the show. It really helps out. And if you know someone who also likes dance or film, join the conversation and bring your friends. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, 
Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.